People God dearly loves who kneel at the cross of Jesus Christ. On this Friday, we boldly call good. I've given you a verse of scripture printed there in your worship guide. These words are from the beginning of Jesus' ministry, not the end. These words are about a lamb, the lamb of God, the lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. I remind you that 44 days ago, when just a small cross was at the bottom of the scrolling banner, that my Ash Wednesday sermon also had John the baptizer at its center. He was the witness to Christ as we began our Lenten journey to the cross and the open tomb. I've often wondered, as I read this verse, John 1:29, and I've sometimes asked you to wonder about this with me, What lambs came to mind when Jewish bystanders watched the baptizer point and heard the baptizer say, look, behold, fix your eyes on the Lamb of God. Did they think of the unblemished year old Passover lambs slaughtered in Egypt who gave their blood to be paint? on the door frames of the Israelites' homes because a lamb's blood leads to freedom from slavery? Or did they think of the Yom Kippur lambs? There were two young goats, actually, but with the Passover, the lamb can be either a young sheep or a young goat. What happened with these two animals, these two goats on the Day of Atonement? The priest placed his hands on the head of one goat and confess the sins of God's people. This animal, the scapegoat, this one carrying guilt, was then carried out of the camp into the wilderness and set loose, symbolizing that God was removing sin from his covenant people. But the second goat died. It was killed. Then some of its blood was taken by the high priest into the tabernacle, and it was sprinkled on the top of the Ark of the Covenant. Why? Because blood is shed to pay for sins. The third lamb is in Genesis 22. It's really the first one in sequence of scripture. It's that hard to read and hard to listen to story of Abraham being commanded to take his son, his only son, Isaac, for a hike up a mountain. Curious, Isaac is old enough to notice that something is missing Isaac is carrying the wood for the burnt offering on his own back. They have a knife. They have fire. But Isaac wonders aloud, where is the lamb? Where is the lamb, father, the lamb for the sacrifice? To which his faithful father replies, God himself will provide the lamb, my son. And he does. And a lamb dies so that Another lives. Which one of these three lambs do you think John the baptizer is talking about in chapter one, verse 29? Or is the answer, as I said to crossing youth and their parents not too long ago, is the answer D, all of the above? On this somber day, when even the subdued purple of Lent is shrouded with black, we discover and ponder and rejoice That Jesus is the Lamb of God who takes away the sin, all the sin of all the world.
His blood is shed to free those held in slavery by guilt and shame. His blood is sprinkled at Golgotha on the first Good Friday so that no priest will ever need to go behind the curtain again. For Jesus is the lamb the father provides on the same mountain. The loving father gives up his only son, his pure and precious son, and you and I live. That's a picture, an image from Holy Scripture. But here's another picture, an actual picture, which tells the story of the worth and the work of Jesus Christ. It's in your worship guide this evening. I should say right now that I started with one picture, the bottom one. Then I learned that there are two and that they are partners. Together they silently tell the holy story of Good Friday. Peter Paul Rubens was a 17th century artist in Belgium. His two greatest works were painted to be hung. It is these in the Cathedral of Our Lady in Antwerp. In 1610, Rubens painted the elevation or the raising of the cross. This picture of the picture does not do it justice. Let me tell you what the scale is. The entire triptych, a central panel with two side hinge panels, is 21 feet wide and 15 feet tall. This central portion would not even fit on this gray wall and would go a foot up on the stained glass in the center. We know from the Gospels that Roman soldiers took Jesus and crucified him They were on the execution detail that day. And we also know that two other men were crucified with Jesus, one on his right, the other on his left. Rubens has, if you count them, nine men raising the cross and the body, the body of our Lord. Though muscled and strong, look at the figures, they strain to do so. But the artist isn't conveying the physical weight of the rough wood or Jesus' wounded and weakened body. Rubens is is depicting the spiritual weight of this action. For Jesus is condemned for every sin and for every sinner. Paul writes in 2 Corinthians 5, For our sake he made him who knew no sin to be sin for us. And Isaiah declares in chapter 53, it's on the front of tonight's worship guide. Surely he has borne our griefs and carried our sorrows. Rubens also placed a man in armor, one of the soldiers. He's wearing silver, looking directly at Jesus. And it seems to me looking at him both with concern and with faith. And a turban man at the place of the skull is clothed in red. Don't. Forget that. The left side panel shows dismayed and grieving women, but also Jesus' human mother and John, the disciple, charged to care for her. Both watch with deep sadness. On the right panel, Rubens depicts a Roman commander intent on the execution of those two notorious criminals. Little does this man know that before his action and his day end, his attention will be on the innocent son of God on the central cross. Two years later, in 1614, after two years of work, Rubens completed a second triptych for the cathedral in Antwerp, the bottom picture. It is called the descent from the cross. 
Art scholars point out that there is a difference not only in the action, but in the composition of these two paintings. The first is energetic and dynamic. The second is restrained and reverent, which fits the scene Rubens depicts. The shadows are darker. The movements are deliberate, but also gentle. The people involved are not anonymous soldiers. They are intimate friends and close followers of Jesus. Joseph of Arimathea, painted just to the left of Jesus, went to Governor Pilate asking permission to claim and bury the body of our Savior. He is joined by Nicodemus, the bearded man to the right in black, as, as he is helping taking the body down from the cross along with their servants. But John, John the evangelist, not the baptizer, is also present and helping, the only disciple at Golgotha. And three Marys are there. One is Mary from Bethany, who sat and listened at Jesus' feet in her home. She's pictured touching those same feet as Jesus' body is taken down from the cross, soon to be carried to the stone cave. And there in the lower right are an important detail. There is a bowl. I don't know how well you can see it. Next to it is actually a rock set on top of the parchment titulus, the identification nailed above Jesus' head when he was crucified, Jesus of Nazareth, King of the Jews. And the bowl, there is blood in that bowl. Why? Because John alone records this detail of Jesus' death to determine that he was already dead. One of the soldiers thrust his spear into Jesus' side and this piercing brought forth a sudden flow of blood and water. John, who began his gospel with the shout of the baptizer, Behold the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world, wrote these words in his first letter to the church, these words which are good news. The blood of Jesus purifies us from all sin. You see, John, the apostle, is the one clothed in red in the bottom picture. John is purified. John is forgiven. John is covered with blood. And you and I are covered with the blood of Christ. You and I are purified from all sins. You and I are forgiven. You and I are clothed in red on this Good Friday as we stand beneath our Lord's cross. In the name of the Father and of the crucified Son and of the Holy Spirit.